This is the one with paranormal activity. Evil things. A diary of the dead. Eyes in the dark. And a yawned house. It's called Sleep No More. Here we go. We're still on our epic race. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating apps. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join, Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be. But who back when? Who back when? Welcome to another outstanding episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, dog past. Yeah, it is. This week, we'll be reviewing the wonder that is <laughs> N126, Sleep No More. Fantastic episode. We'll get into the reasons why I love it so much and why it's my, maybe my all-time favorite, but maybe I'll give it the highest score mm. I've ever given. Oh, or maybe you're not. so deadpan, you're not giving anything away. <laughs> <laughs> your host today my name is marie and with me i have two very fine gentlemen uh namely sir in green oh that would be the very fine drew back when <laughs> oh i got branding and a uh, gentleman in the black uh it's it's navy actually but thank you uh, hello very, i'm very, leon very 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 dark blue <laughs> Hello, Marie. Hello, Drew. Hello, Podcast Land. Welcome, everyone. What an excellent show we've got for you tonight. Marie, you shouldn't hoodwink Podcast Land so convincingly. Or maybe you do really think this is the best episode ever. (sighs) What do you think, Drew? (laughs) Top level. I think you've sighed for longer when trying to sum up in a single breath what you think about an episode. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. okay. And right. Leon? I was sort of vacillating between kind of a broad range. On the one hand, I thought maybe this is just utterly abysmal. And on the other hand, I thought maybe, maybe this is passable. So <laughs> that's really interesting because at the am. end of the last episode, or maybe after the last episode, I can't remember which, you and I both said, I remember everyone else hating this, but we liked it. Yeah. And yeah. you've completely revised that opinion. But in rewatching, Watching this episode the other night, I realised this is not at all the ep I thought it was going to be. Oh, nuts! <laughs> I will tell you honestly where I am, and it is currently zero. And, oh my uh, goodness! What? what? As in just <laughs> flat out zero? Zero point zero. Yes. Feeling, do you know what? If I'd have stuck with my original ruling, I would technically be on minus two by now. But I'm <laughs> staying on a flat zero. With an open mind and an open heart, and if anyone is is able to bring me up, then I will gladly come with you. But, wow. Yeah. I mean, this could be the very first time anyone gives anything a 0.0 on the show. This is this is an historic moment. Okay, well, let's see if the B-scale Leon has written will start the amelioration process, shall we? <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? First-person perspective, cold open aboard a spaceship where the crew's gone missing. Doc and Clara have turned up for no real reason, and so is a team of soldiers, of whom exactly one was genetically bred for soldiering, because that's what we do in the future. 
except for the entire rest of the team of soldiers. <laughs> you know how you really want to work even more, but all that pesky free time and sleep always get in the way? Well, not anymore, buddy, because in the far-flung future, a mad scientist with corporate backing has invented a pod that packs all your snoozing needs into one stretch like that lady from the start of Amelie Poulain. Well, turns out the crew's gone missing because they plopped inside the sleeping pods and were subsumed by the snoozy gunk in the corner of their eye. And now there are eye booger monsters roaming the space corridors, plotting to take over the space universe under the spell of the aforementioned mad space scientist. Or so the episode claims, because what just happened? <laughs> you are welcome. Uh, <laughs> aren't you just? Yes. Well. I don't feel like that made things any better. <laughs> Apologies for that. Straight up snark from the get-go from Leon, honestly. Can no one think of a good thing to say about this episode, or at least a question? I mean, the uh, B-Scow ends by saying, what just happened? What did just happen? Is this real? Are we jumping straight into the end? Is that what we're doing? Well, I guess. <laughs> It appears so. All right. It makes as much sense as anything else. Let's do that. It wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> okay. Wait, did you just ask, was this real? Yeah. Are you suggesting that there's a possibility that this was just a dream? Well, I'll tell you why. It doesn't make an, a huge amount of sense for me to think that. But if it isn't just a dream, if, if, if this isn't sort of made up like a spam email, essentially, where it's like, we've hacked all your data and we have your passwords. And if you don't pay into my Bitcoin account, then I'll stop talking in my Central European accent and tell you who I really am. And that's much scarier. And, you know, that sort of thing. So it could be a scam. Because if not, then in the 38th century, the human race and or Clara is fucked. And this isn't resolved. I forgot about the whole hacking people's vision business, because I don't think that that is ever resolved in this episode. But OK, so, OK, what what are you suggesting? What is happening, Drew? I what? OK, hang on. Either <laughs> here are the two options that I have. OK, so either okay. Rasmussen, the mad scientist, the professor, whatever, the bad guy. Either he won at the end. Yeah. And I'm. Did you guys read the trivia on TARDIS Wikia? Where it said that this was the first time since the first Doctor's era that the Doctor had apparently been beaten by the villain. Exactly. So that's what the TARDIS Wikia trivia seems to insinuate happened. Or, yeah, and the Doctor certainly didn't win because he gets into the TARDIS saying this doesn't make any sense. He hasn't figured it out and he is escaping or he thinks he's escaping, but in not having solved the problem before he escapes, it will pursue him. Or, as I assumed when watching this the other day, Rasmussen is there. He's like, I won! And then he crumbles to dust won't have a chance to show that clip to anyone. Like, the only way that he won is that we, the audience, this is breaking the fourth wall, we, the audience watching Doctor Who, have seen that little clip in this episode of Doctor Who. Now, what it is, is this is being beamed down to Triton, or Titan, or wherever it is. Neptune. Oh, yes, yeah, so it would be Triton. And, um... Oh. <laughs> yeah, so, so we're part of the 38th century human audience, and we're all now fucked. And the Doctor's buggered off, so he's not going to help us so just sit back relax and die painfully marie what did you think happened i just it depends whether this was a live like screening or whether this was pre-recorded and whether he ever got to send the like send it to titan oh that's a good point he does right as mid like the recording he does collapse into a pile of dust so yeah. maybe he does he's recording this and nobody ever gets to see it and then it then the whole plan is spoiled yeah but he's not very bothered about collapsing into a pile of dust is he he's not like oh with my last 
ounce of sandy strength. I've got to reach out and hit the big red button. He's like, this is all going according to plan. And now you're freaking out, aren't you? You're losing your shit. But the calmer I am, the freakier it gets. <laughs> Splat. Did you guys watch The Ring? No. Yeah. Isn't that what they're trying to do? Like in the uh, Drew, do you know what the ring is about? Uh, is is it the uh, creepy girl in the well who comes out the telly? Yes, it is. But okay, so for those in podcast land who aren't aware of the ring, there's a VHS tape. If you watch the the film, if you watch this video, then X amount of time later, this girl will creep out of your TV and murder you. And I felt like that's what this was. He was making the ring videotape, and what we, the audience, are doing, we're basically seeing the ring. I don't want to spoil the end of of the ring for people but like we fuck it already did you had like two decades podcast land it's like and there was a <laughs> remake and everything <laughs> yes that's true yes i mean we the audience are watching the film the ring and are subjected to the film that they are watching inside the film the ring does this make sense am i talking out of my ear i i can't tell there are too many layers for a friday night what i'm saying is we the audience are the evidence that he has succeeded yes it uh, feels yes. a little and, uh, gimmicky but we as in we the real audience are the evidence that he, the fake person, succeeded. Yeah, and in witnessing the glitch in the videotape, that is the electronic signal activating the part of our brain that will turn us into Sandman. Yeah, exactly. It depends, like, how many people this screening reached. If it is he wanted to, like, the whole planet is going to see this, or the whole solar system, didn't he say at one point, is going to watch this, then yeah, humanity is fucked. But if it is just, like, the ring is, you pass on a physical copy, is it that, like, a handful of people, us included, have seen this and therefore they're going to get infected but it will be a slow burn. It's not just going to wipe out humanity entirely. This is definitely on 38th century YouTube and at the end he says tell your friends, tell some strangers and... But I got no friends! Yeah, Yeah, exactly, all that stuff. So (laughs) it goes viral. This is the logic with the ring is like, like, you have to make a recording of it and pass it on, otherwise she'll come and get you, basically. And so that's how how it spreads people are trying to self-preserve but there's nothing in that you could just watch that and go oh he's an idiot and delete it and never show anybody else there's no like impetus to to pass it on it just says it just tells you to pass it on it is the end of every youtube channel yeah it's, yeah. it's like one of those uh, really shit chain email thingies send this to yeah. 17 of your friends or you'll have two years of bad luck and your dick will fall off that sort of thing <laughs> So, so it's not actually the vector element to this that you're objecting to. If this had been, in your eyes, a really brilliant, entertaining episode, which you had to show to your friends and everyone you know, then you'd be like, this fits and makes total sense and will take down the human race. But it's because you hate the preceding 43 minutes that you're like, this would never work. <laughs> this, this no one's le- ever going to watch this again. Don't worry. <laughs> This leads me to a question then. The professor, what's his name again? Rasmussen. Rasmussen. Egan Rasmussen. So he says that he's made up this story. He's basically yeah. assembled the footage is what he means by that. Oh, I see. But maybe he's being like, this is why you should look, because this is this is original and intriguing. And and why don't you see this amazing thing I've created? You know, it's all part of selling it. Yeah, it's trying to draw you in at the beginning. But the um, so the idea is it's this it's an electronic signal that changes something in your brain and then therefore what turns you into one of these sand monsters yeah uh, you're right that wait how does that make sense because don't you need to go into a pod don't you need to actually sleep quote unquote or you know whatever yeah 
have your so sleep the, condensed. In this episode, the only thing we've seen the sand monster do is kill people. We haven't seen anyone turn... Why didn't everyone turn into a sand monster? There was one person who had been in one of those pods for however many years and had turned into a sand monster. Yeah, five years, yeah. patient zero. Yeah, but that's the point. Is it without the pods, do they, do they actually do anything on their own? Well, I think the twist oh. serves to invalidate a lot of what goes before but i think that is intentional so i I think the pods are a sort of misdirect this is why the doctor is getting into the tardis saying why did x happen why did he turn into a monster in the pod the grav stuff makes no sense and actually the pods are entirely irrelevant that is part of the story he's created so what we were talking about two or three minutes ago he has written a story around the very simplistic hook of all i need to make you do is see and that's it you're gone Um, but what is that going to do that's going to turn you into another Sandman. Eventually. Right, okay. But then why did all the soldiers die? Like, the first one that gets taken down, I can't remember his name, he's, he says on the voiceover, like, he was the first to die and eventually everybody else does. None of them are turned. Yeah, why not just subject him to some of these spores and turn him into another Sandman? Yeah. I think I think the Sandmen are carnivorous monsters that can tear you apart. Yeah. So, okay. uh, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking. What was, what there was are the, many ways to die. What was the whole dealio with, oh, your vision's been hacked because you went into a pod now your what you can see is available on the wi-fi as as with clara yes yeah and with everyone who had been in a pod this is one of my biggest beefs with the episode was just how it was shot and how i really really hated it it just felt so awkward and in your face and was so distracting like right from the go word go and it took everyone else so long to realize what was happening wait, um, wait sorry can i ask what what was the annoying bit to you do you mean the first person perspective thing yeah how it was being filmed and the like i hated all of the looking directly into camera so the doctor mm. was doing it all the time looking at clara looking at i can't remember the other woman's name but like looking at particular people and getting Nagata? a camera's eye view back. Nagata, yeah. yes, Nagata. Oh, we'll come back to her also. <laughs> and it just really, really stressed me out. It was like, there are no cameras here. It's really awkward. It's really distracting. I don't like how this is being filmed. It's taking me out of the, like, it's not adding anything to my enjoyment of this okay. episode. Um, I kind of liked it. So I want that to be you. Yeah. Oh no, it really <laughs> bugged me. So I want that to be like a good reason. So all the way through, it's like, okay, okay so you know there's going to be something, there's going to be a camera in her eye because that's the only possible explanation for these this footage and then the explanation comes and it says that the particles in the air basically are the camera so the cameras are everywhere in which case why does it also need to be like a point of view shot from all the people in the room well why is it only a point why why is it only the point of view of the people who have been inside a pod yeah because that's the thing like if they can be anywhere then it does why does it also have to be the people in the pod like it just doesn't make any sense Hmm. so it would like i think it would be better done if there were cameras around and like the majority of it was filmed with like a normal CCTV camera and then just every now and again it shot to a, a shot that couldn't possibly exist but that for them to go oh there's no cameras anywhere like all of this footage is fake therefore it doesn't have to come from someone's eye yeah like, because it, I was about I to I argue just... that there perhaps was some disjuncture between the eye and the brain thing so Clara goes into the pod and she gets all those uh, wires like snakes over her and she has the brain glitch implanted in there and then that hacks the optic nerve so it's something more than just a fucking particle but you are absolutely right there are no cameras hidden up in the corners of the rooms it is just yeah. stuff floating around up there exactly. not that i think sleep is just floating in the air because if it does i'm gonna buy Gross. some goggles oh, yeah, that is really <laughs> really quite revolting yeah <laughs> 
and there's also a few times, I think after the doc realizes that these cameras are the particles, there's a few shots where he directly looks to camera and it's like he's looking, like if there was a CCTV camera there, he would be looking right in the lens of it. And it's just like, it, this doesn't work. You can't throw a pointed look at something when everything <laughs> is a camera. Like, yeah. It just doesn't work. When it's just a moat hanging in the air, a speck or something. Yeah. That being said, I really uh, enjoyed yeah. that we got this first person perspective. I mean, I, I wouldn't want a whole show with that. I wouldn't want Doctor Who to revisit that perspective very often. But it's nice that they're trying something new. Like, it was a cool effect for the sole reason that we haven't had it before. Yeah, I really liked it too. I, I see what Maria is saying, that you didn't need to be reminded every 20 seconds yes. by being put uh, behind the eyes of someone who was very rapidly turning their head to look at something else. You, you exactly. could just shake yeah. it a little bit or move forward through a room rather than keep spinning left and right. Well, I would even be okay uh, with that if so, they had provided a proper explanation for why people's vision was hijacked. And I don't feel that they did. I still don't understand why that happened. And consequently, it just feels like a gimmick. If it had actually been tied in as a plot point, it would have been like, oh, okay, cool. This makes sense. Now I get it. It's not a camera. It's because of this. And that's happening because of this. It's like, great. This is good writing. But it's not. <laughs> like it, It's just absent. And do you know what else? Oh, sorry, go for it, sorry. I said, the other thing that is not good writing is there's a line where the doc says, I've hacked into this camera. The woman whose name I've forgotten, Drew. Nagata. Nagata, Nagata says, oh, there are no cameras. And doc continues and goes, oh, I think, oh, we must be missing something. I can't possibly think what it is. It's like, oh, come on. Like, yeah. oh. it's so... <laughs> Like, blindingly obvious at that point. And then, yeah, later again, when after he has finally clicked... And what did you say 1.83 minutes ago? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they're watching the footage, and he's just saying to Clara and this woman, oh, yeah, can't you see? Can't you tell? Like, they're being really stupid for not knowing what it is, and he refuses to tell them that the, the problem is that there's no cameras. He's making them work it out for themselves. And it's like, you didn't fucking work it out. Why should they be expected to? Yeah. But it is stupidly obvious, and they should all have worked ready. I agree. That was maybe too obviously i mean we quite often have that device of oh wait hang on what did you just say because i need to hear you say it again in order for the right neurons to fire inside my head i don't know why they i mean it's a trope it happens a lot but this was maybe too happens simpli- in real life as well but this was too simplistic a thing to use for that however what really annoyed me was yeah. they are under severe duress why is he asking them to f- piece it together why is he making something didactic out of it why is he trying to teach them to you know why is he giving them a net and teaching them how to fish no absolutely not just give them a fish and save your lives and teaching them how to fish he's giving them a net and saying based on this net can you figure out where you are (laughs) yeah yeah just so patronizing it just feels so unnecessary yeah way too cryptic i didn't like like the doctor in this episode he he bugged me okay here's another problem that i have that is related to the pov in the very beginning (laughs) everyone gets a collector's card like everyone gets a screen with their face cool funky space designs their name maybe their job title or something like that yep, their age and their vital stats and their survival rate exactly it's like you're watching a, a wrestling game or you're collecting you know superhero cards or whatever and it's th- there's someone behind that i'm assuming it's rasmussen going like oh here's uh billy two balls <laughs> wait that's, that's the normal amount of balls here's billy one ball <laughs> 
He's Billy Three Balls. That's better. Here's Billy Three Balls. Uh, uh, you know what? He thinks he's a bit of a joker. That is, to me, that's incredibly lazy writing. Like, that is, that's tell, don't show that they're practicing. Yeah. And also, who is saying this? Why would Rasmussen or whoever else, why would they go, <laughs> he thinks he's a bit of a joker? This person does not factor into your narrative. Like, (laughs) it's really not necessary. If your goal as Rasmussen, by the way, is to just show that little glitch, just show that glitch. Like, there is, you, you will spare yourself 43 minutes of risk of your audience flipping to a different channel. Just show people the glitch. Problem solved. But anyway, yeah, so the whole car thing in the beginning, absolutely hated it. The car thing as well, it's basically like they've computer game eyes it all. Yes. And, it, and that fits in with the like POV camera work yeah, it's like as a, well. It's like You're a, the huge. It looks very much like that here when the soldiers are running around. Yeah. Wait, hang on. Why are there but soldiers, it, but only one of them is genetically bred to be a soldier? Why isn't everyone bred to be a soldier or no one bred to be a soldier? There's more than one type. <laughs> of soldier but this feels like a very specific mission where maybe grunt like brute force is not enough maybe you do need like an intelligence to go on this sort of rescue mission like those sort of uh, we're breeding you for violence you attack without any consideration to who the enemy is you just you know they're bred with low intellect they're kind of the frontline soldiers that you don't mind getting killed. They're not the ones you choose to go on a special mission to possibly rescue a team. Yeah, that's true. No, no, you sorry, I take it back. Who actually, can that's handle a good themselves and possibly be cannon fodder. I, I think it makes sense the makeup of this team. You've got the guy who is clearly and he, he's he's about as rebellious as you can get in the armed forces. He's he's independent thinker. He's going to react critically to things. You've got the the commander who does things by the book, and you've got the morale guy it's like a, a really shit version of the a-team i mean no one can do disguises <laughs> but and then there's face but who has just... stuff on his face yeah exactly <laughs> yeah or her face sorry if that was the yes. point if they'd made this like a-team so that you could use all these skills they would be using the grunt they would make him go first into every room and and like clear the like you say he's cannon fodder so he can go in and make sure everything's safe and then the rest of them approach and that's not yeah, how they but if it him. was the a-team the grunt would turn around and say i ain't going in no room sucker <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like you should have a grunt who's ready to just blow up stuff on a spaceship. Like, I, yeah, exactly. there are windows everywhere. <laughs> don't oh, yeah. don't throw someone into the mix who doesn't really understand. You know, maybe <laughs> decompression and only bring people who will value the integrity of the hull. I have another question about the soldiers, specifically for you, Drew. Does it bother you, or how much does it bother you, that every soldier we get in Doctor Who is, uh, well, future soldiers, they're all, oh, God this and God that and God is my leader. It's always a a religious army. They did it again this time. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I think there is is some, I mean, whether there is some justification or not, I think Mark Gatiss would claim that there is some justification in the mashing up of the Indo-Japanese yeah. um, sort of uh, source of this army uh, because both... Uh, Polytheistic. Exactly. Mm. So it, it makes sense that they'd have an enormous pantheon and uh, praise them all at once or whatever. Um, the, they do repeat it a lot and yeah. I wasn't personally bothered by it. I mean, we've had the Crimson Aura where they're in a church and we talked about that then. There 
there is typically in a Mark Gatiss episode some reference to, to religion which, which will make it look a bit silly while everyone's dying or everyone's being wicked. But because the rest of the episodes are usually so superficial, I can't say that that element alone <laughs> is the superficial one. Yeah. So it doesn't come off too much worse by comparison. Okay. I think it just bothers me because it just feels like it comes up so often. It just feels a bit lazy at this point. Well, I mean, if you had to guess, if you didn't know that Mark Gatiss had written this episode, would you have been able to figure it out? Well, I mean, Reese Shearsmith was the opening frame, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He was, wasn't he? And the last frame. (laughs) Wait, what? And the last frame, yeah. Reese Shearsmith, the... Oh, is that the guy who plays Rasmussen? Yeah. Yeah. Right, Um, right, right. So he's worked with Gattis on like League of Gentlemen and things. Oh, I didn't know that. So I think, yeah, so they've worked a lot together in the past. So I think I would always assume that if he's involved, then probably Gattis is as well. Oh, I see. I assume that this was a Gattis for a different reason. I'm just looking for the name. It's called, ah, it's called The Lazarus Experiment. I felt like there were certain similarities with The Lazarus Experiment. Such as? Reese Shearsmith. Sorry, no, go on. No, no, go for it, go for it, go for it. No, 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 I just, that's my only positive note. It just says Reese Shearsmith. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so literally the first thing I wrote, and then it was, and then it's all negative after that. <laughs> Oh, to give you a brief tour of Reese Shearsmith's career, mm-hmm. he has already been in the Doctor Who-niverse in a Mark Gatiss-written piece. Oh, really? He played Patrick Troughton in An Adventure in Space and Time. Oh, very cool. cool. Hmm. And he also appeared in Shaun of the Dead and The World's End, but not Hot Fuzz. And Leon, you may remember him as, as Dexter in Spaced, who was the main operator of the robot War Bastard. <laughs> I remember the episode, but I don't remember remember Dexter. <laughs> Excellent. He's basically the, the TA knobhead who uh, <laughs> sabotages Tim and Mike's robot. Oh. I see. Oh yeah, no, I do remember him now, yeah. The other member of the League of Gentlemen, Steve Pemberton, has also appeared in Doctor Who. Who's that? He was Strackman Lux in Silence in the Library, Forest of the Dead. So the whole League of Gentlemen have now been in Doctor Who. Mm. If I had any kind of emotional connection to the League of Gentlemen, I'd <laughs> my heart would be warmed right now. But <laughs> oh, you'd love it! It's so good, Leon. You should definitely watch it. Is it really? Okay, I, I I will add it to my list. I adore it. Can I get the facts in for this episode? Let's do it, please. We've already said it was written by Mark Gatiss. It was first broadcast on 14th of November 2015, so just over five years ago. I also wanted to bring up Wikipedia lists the audience appreciation index for each episode. These are scores out of 100. Mm -hmm. They're not always right, although Series 4 consistently gets the highest ratings, so it's pretty accurate. This episode gets a 78. What do you think the next episode after that, which gets a lower score, is? I'm going to have to look at the list of episodes. No, you can't look at the list of episodes. You've got to think of a terrible episode and be like, what was, what did the audience hate more than this? Wait, are we talking, are these in chronological order? Yeah. Oh, okay. Is it? Love and Monsters. Sorry, Maria, I just talked over you. Love and Monsters was several years before this. Yeah, that's not chronological. Oh, wait, look, I, saw, I thought you said it wasn't. Cr- oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. Is it a Jodie Whittaker episode? Is this the worst Capaldi? Oh, no. It's, it's not Orphan 55. It's Orphan 55. Of course it is. Of course it is. The worst ever. So you are not alone. The fan base hated it. <laughs> And I That's didn't. You didn't. Oh. I really didn't. I I thought that the the visuals were pretty involving throughout. A, a bit on the unsubtle side. I I would grant you that. Mm. And and of course we pick apart every episode once it's finished and be like, well this bit doesn't connect to that bit, and that bit actually invalidates the other bits. <laughs> but 
I mean, that's every week. So at this point, I don't really see how this is so much worse. No, that's and fair. While it's that's fair. Visually unique for Doctor Who so far, and mm. and worthwhile doing once. Yeah, mm. I agree. I, I think there were actually well, a, a lot of visuals in this one that were really cool. As I said, I enjoyed the first person shooter POV <laughs> thingy. I enjoyed the ex- the shots from the window of Neptune outside. I thought that w- they were gorgeous, and I thought the design of the monster was really cool. Hmm. I would like to add to that the set design because oh. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you how <laughs> this corridors. is they had they had some lovely corridors yeah but when they weren't in corridors when they were in the cold storage or when they were running through that room i don't know where it was the gravity was going down and there were plants growing there there was some sort of um, oh, yeah. nursery going on and if you looked around those rooms it made the ship feel complex and multi-layered and lived in more so than the characters ironically but it wasn't the bare minimum it i, I watched this yeah. twice and i saw a lot more on the second time around and i started looking around a lot more and there, there was clearly some effort put in there was effort put in you could tell that but again because i despised so much how it was shot it took away like any joy that i could get from that so there was i know exactly the room you're talking about and they were running through it and whoever's point of view at the time was being shot very purposefully looked at the plants and then looked back again and it was like look we spent money on this i'm gonna take you to the plants now and really forced and obvious and you weren't just allowed to look around the room at your own leisure you were forced through somebody else's eyes to see it and if i'm running away from a monster i'm not stopping to take it and be like oh look a nursery like it's just not what you do so yeah i don't know maybe you think could i do i need to grab a plant before i go is this the last time i'll ever see i'll, I'll ever taste a black currant or something <laughs> <laughs> Okay, just compare it though to Kill the Moon. Do you remember how basic and stripped back and featureless everything was in Kill the Moon? Yeah, that's true. Grey, just entirely grey and nothing in there. Wait, hang on. Do you mean the base in Kill the Moon? Yeah, yeah, the base. I mean, the moon is obviously grey, but specifically the base. Yeah, but but that's true. The base is super duper minimalist, but they spent incredible time and effort to to make the moon look very good in Kill the Moon. Kill Kill the Moon as an episode has lots of shortcomings, but the effects involved in making the moonshots look like moonshots, they're spectacular. I get what you're saying, that the base here is multifaceted, but I never really got a sense of the space. I I wonder if maybe a reason for that is, and maybe this is just something I missed or I've forgotten, but I don't remember ever seeing the ship or the base from the outside. Okay, I well, have they no... show it near the beginning. Oh, really? It I don't... quite a lot like the one that's always throughout the first series, like Starship One or something like that. You okay. know, where they where it ends there in the parting of the ways and it is the uh, broadcasting network at some point. Oh, it's right. a bit like that. Oh, okay. Well, regardless, I never got a sense of the space. It just felt like endless corridors and I wasn't super duper enthused by the set design. Oh, okay. Meh. Each to their own. Hmm. I felt like I was with you, Drew. You, I felt like you were convincing me, and and now Leon's just uh, just taking me right back to where I was before. <laughs> d- 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 take so little. <laughs> <That's> yes, <laughs> <laughs> that's good because I had yeah, very little no. to offer that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just just keep dialing into that confirmation bias, Leon. Just keep, t- just keep pressing that button. You are smashing that button. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys look up the trivia about how there was going to be a sequel to this? Yeah. What? 
Yeah, I wonder why they decided not to have a sequel. <laughs> yeah, well, that was it, because Mark they... Gatiss's reason was officially that he learned that Moffat was moving on and he might only get one more episode to write, even though he has written two episodes in a single series before, or whatever. And so he decided, <laughs> I wanted to write The Empress of Mars more than anything else, so I junked the sequel to this and went for that to, to follow my heart. Absolutely nothing to do with it being universally slated. What are you talking about? I've only heard... <laughs> great reviews <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty see-through isn't it <laughs> yeah. and the fair enough was going to be set on earth in the present day I oh really in the, present the original day. the original idea was for this to be set in the city when when they marketing spiel is running with the head by the way when the head comes back in half a second later and said terms and conditions apply and then fuck straight off again surely that got a laugh <laughs> no ah oh, just me then anyway i don't even remember that is that in the pod uh, that, they're all t- around the pod at that point then and the doctor is getting the answers on why rasmussen developed it oh i see but originally it was going that. to be set in the city and that was going to explain what the head was talking about by way of you need to work through the night and and get an edge on your competitors and profit oh I, I know what you're talking about now sorry yeah yeah but then he decided to set it in space and then he thought hmm you know what i love this episode so much and it's bound to enthrall everyone so <laughs> profoundly that i'll just go back to my original idea on earth and have capaldi rock up in in 2016 and uh yeah we'll just we'll just run through it again and uh everyone will love that one too <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm really sorry that he didn't get a shot at that. That would have been great. We'd had one more episode to talk about. (laughs) Um, But um, good choice, Gatiss. Marie, you put a pin in Nagata. Yeah, I did. Only because I just couldn't cope with her accent. (laughs) All right. Genuinely, it really, really stressed me out quite a lot. Every five seconds. She says pet. Yeah, Yeah. that's the only thing I remember of that. (laughs) (laughs) Like someone's gone, oh, I, I know, diversity. Let's put a northerner in here. I know, what do northerners say? Oh, yeah, let's make her from, let's make her a Geordie. They say pet, don't they? Yeah, okay. And they just wrote pet into every single line that she had. And this is why I was saying I should technically be on a minus two, because I was like, I'm going <laughs> to knock off a point every time she says pet. And then I ran out of points. So, <laughs> Seven pets then. Yeah. It there just was some really- heavy petting. <laughs> that could have been an intro line. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> It just really, really stressed me out because it was like, it was someone, it was obviously like never been to Newcastle. It was just decided that this is how people speak. And actually like there's context. And like, so where I'm from, people will call you duck or love or cock. And you know, you'll be chatting with your buddies or, you know, the lady in the supermarket or whatever. And it'll come cock? out quite frequently. She did just say cock. I did. Oh, okay. Yes. Comment. <laughs> <laughs> Not Derbyshire, I think. But anyway, but if you are like a military leader and you're like commanding respect and she she actually corrected someone and says, oh, it's mom. She's not going to be using these quite like it's like down south. It's just calling someone mate. Like you don't do it in a professional setting. Yeah. And it just felt like it was long time and place for her to do it. And then she continued to do it throughout the episode. And it just really, really pissed me off. And there was absolutely no reason that she needed to be Geordie. It wasn't part of her character so they could just not do that or just hire a fucking Geordie actor and then you don't have to (laughs) deal with this awful, awful accent which I couldn't, I just she came on screen it just ground my like my teeth just started like oh Oh, so yeah it's a future accent this is the 38th century 
or whenever it is. Yeah, yeah. She's from New Newcastle, which is in Indo Japan. So that's your problem. Okay. And, and they all lawyered. It's probably. A... <laughs> yeah. I do. I feel like like the combination of that and the camera work. It just meant that whatever <laughs> there may be good things about this episode. But I was so distracted by the bad things that I just couldn't find any enjoyment. I was just getting more and more wound up and angry <laughs> by watching it. So, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, to give Nagata's real-life actress's backstory, her name's Elaine Tan. I think she's English because she started her career in EastEnders, Hollyoaks, and The Bill, which would have been three different accents. Yeah. But she's also yeah. cracked America. She plays a character called Coach Evans in a film called Get Even, which can only be made in america also she's been in csi but only oh, for a okay. couple of episodes yeah. but she's transatlantic and up and down she's the country Amer- hawking her accents oh but yeah i, I did look her up because like very like the first word out of her mouth i was like oh this sounds really weird and then i was like <laughs> hang on i'm not from newcastle i don't know this accent very well maybe i'm being stupid and maybe this is what they sound like uh, so i looked her up and yeah it said she was from london so i assume uh, yeah that it's just a really bad accent Leon, you're about to say something else. You guys feel about <laughs> the do the song please scene? Uh, I liked it. Oh, why, Drew? <laughs> why? It, we were it's a horrible scene. <laughs> we're going to have 5.0 or like, okay, let's be realistic. There'll be a 4.3 from Drew. There'll be a minus two from Marie. <laughs> I'm not going to reveal where I am just yet, <laughs> but it's neither of those two. <laughs> Okay, Drew, defend yourself. The banality of numerology yet. I liked this scene because of the reason they gave for it after the um mashed together multi festival party. Everyone got drunk and thought, you know, you know what's really stupid? That song. Don't you hate it? Yeah, I really hate it too. Should we sing it? I mean, that would be mental, right? And they all start singing it, and the computer's like, please shut the fuck up. And they're like, oh for fuck's sake, how? What can we do about this computer? I know, we'll we'll reprogram it so she loves it, so she insists on it. The joke's on you, AI. And then we wind up with this situation. I I agree. I think that's a fun bit of backstory, but it is not set up. We're like we've never met the the crew. We have no impression of the crew, the the now ex crew of this so spaceship. This is our impression. This is what our impression. Crew uh, like, to remain entirely mythical and essentially featureless, or do you want to get to know them via these means? This does not allow me to get to know that crew. I'm sorry. I'm really. I agree with you. I think it's a nice thing that they added that as a backstory, but it would only have worked, oh sorry, it would have worked for me if there had been anything, anything about the the actual crew. Like, anything. Or, you know what? Something that just sets up the fact that there was a party. Like, anything. What we get here is just a dude, he goes to a door, and the door doesn't work because someone we don't know has reprogrammed it for a reason you've had to assume uh, in a way that we can only deduce by like, having the dude sing. He doesn't even... How does he know? What? No! N- this is a bad scene, Drew. You are you wrong. Marie, back me up here. Do you want to imagination at all? Do you want to be told not... Or shown not told... Wait, whichever the worst of those is, everything. No, I want to... I don't want to be told everything everything. This was tell, don't show. This was the computer just going, this happened. 
So why mm. don't we get to see the crew doing some things that then make what happens in the scene a fun expected, you know, like, oh, of course they did that. Of course Brett and Glenda did that. That's like classic Glenda. Or it subverts expectations like, wait, that is not the impression I had of Glenda. Here it's just like people you have no idea even <laughs> exist did something that would be fun if you knew them. It's the, it's the definition of you had to be there and you know what? We weren't there. I get it. It's an isolated data point and comes across as a token gesture towards something that you'd rather was deeper and backed up. I didn't think that this bullet point on my list was going to do it, but I'm getting closer to your score, Marie. Um, the other thing that the incident with the door does, I think, is take away any tension that that scene would have with the monster coming towards you. I don't think at any point did I feel scared by the big sand creature that is, by the way, going to dissolve in a second anyway. What's that? I don't know why they dissolve. But yeah, that should have been quite a tense thing that he was coming at you. And if you couldn't open the door because you didn't know the password, like, also, you know, that something, it would be a, it, like a completely different atmosphere where it was just this fucking door going, oh, I'm not going to let you through sing the song. I, um, I think you guys were too busy rolling your eyes to see Deep Ando right in front of you staring. I thought he was doing quite a good job of acting pretty terrified in that scene. It was coming through in his voice. It was very tense. It was halting. It was catching. He, he himself was like why am I having to do this? Computer says no. Oh, for fuck's sake, this is yeah. the stupidest thing and I'm about to die by the stupidest monster ever and I have to sing the stupidest song. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. He he sold me on that. He did a fine job. I I, I wouldn't cr- go so far as to criticise the actor. He, he did a great job, absolutely. But the scene is not set up properly. It doesn't work well. It's not effective. Then the scene follows into him actually finally opening the door, going through, closing the door immediately in an empty room, admiring the gorgeous CGI scenery turning around jump scare there's a monster who got in how? I don't know did the monster also <laughs> sing the song outside? did we miss that? how did that uh, happen? The hokey pokey. <laughs> oh sorry no it's, it's the Sandman yeah. why am I singing the hokey pokey? <laughs> That was that was Plan B, <laughs> <laughs> Mister Sandman. Yeah, every exactly. door has a. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> How did the Sandman get through? I really hope he did have to sing the song too. <laughs> Why didn't we see that? That would have been pretty. <laughs> that, well, you know what? Yeah, I, that would have been fun. <laughs> Because the mouth is just static, as far as I'm aware. This was a fairly cheap effect, just lit badly enough that you never quite were able to focus on how cheap it was. They they do look pretty scary, though. The scene where they're trying to escape, the different they now, the scene where Doc et al. are trying to escape the... Um, the meat locker, whatever they are, they're in they're in the freezer when yeah. they're trying to escape and Doc has figured out, okay, so they can't see, but they can hear. It's a genuinely creepy scene, I thought. It felt a little, uh, uh, what is it? Silent Hill. It felt a little Silent Hill. Have you seen Silent Hill? Okay. There's a scene with uh, the nurses who have no eyes and they're like, whenever you move past them, I think it's when you make a sound, they like chomp after you. Oh, right. Similar scene. Anyway. I just wondered about the monsters and and why they do disintegrate and what it means after they have disintegrated do they reform we never see one reforming at any point do we assume that once they've collapsed into a pile of dust they're they're dead now they're sand terminators they agglomerated from individual spores or grains anyway but there's nothing 
to show that like if you could see the sand maybe that's how he got into the room maybe he disintegrated into a pile of sand crept under the door and then reformed again as a monster then like there's another threat there that they can shapeshift they can change form they can like even when you think you're safe they can still come at you I'm sorry what kind of ship doors do they have on this spaceship that needs to be airtight if you can just slip underneath it what what kind of shit do they just have barn doors do they have swing doors (laughs) airtight that's only exterior ones but yeah i don't know and um <laughs> yeah otherwise you'd have anyway. to keep opening all the doors or you'd fix it i suppose they've got ventilation never mind cut that well maybe it comes <laughs> through the ventilation system um, yeah exactly then... there's vents everywhere dude there's ah. vents in every single space building. that makes sense you know that, that makes sense perfect You've just explained that. Do you know what they could have done in the episode to fix that? They could have established it by just having one, two or three second lingering shot on a vent and Mm. something fluttering in the air next to the vent. Yeah. Boom. Something subtle rather than just a fist punching it across the room, (laughs) which I feel is what this episode would have done (laughs) whilst singing a shit song. Because someone you don't know about told you to. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've hit the nail on the head, Drew. I think that I think there's a lot of ideas in this episode that are good, but they're just everything's just punched at you. It's not subtle. It's not anyway. I'll save that for my review. The other <laughs> thing that really bothered me was okay, so we're talking to Reese Shearsmith, Doctor What's His Face? Rasmussen. Rasmussen. He's explaining to the Doctor why, like, this is a better species. They're the future. They're a new life form. They're a better life form. Like, they're not a better. Have you seen them? They're not a better <laughs> life form. Like, <laughs> like clearly not. <laughs> And just maybe this is the clue that you need to be like, maybe he's not human. Maybe he's been taken over by them because there's no way on earth that a human man, scientist, can look at these dust things and claim that they are like superior somehow. Like we don't see, there's no sort of intelligence. They're just just lumbering monsters. Yeah, exactly. Sightless as well. Yeah, exactly. In one way, they are better than humans. If if he has been turned into one of them in some way, I mean, that effect at the end, by the way, holy moly, that is a super impressive shot. When he's mm. like, yeah. he's rubbing the sleep out of his eye, and his eye turns to sand. Ugh, that is an awesome shot. Really, really well done. But that suggests that he is one of them. So why isn't he the better species? Like, why isn't he trying to turn everyone into whatever he is? Yeah, yeah. A, a walking talking seeing version of well like of just them, a yeah. sentient individual you know someone who can actually interact with the world in a way that isn't just eating it <laughs> they can't do anything they can only they can eat people but they can't oh, have on, a conversation they can't do anything wait they they can see can't they it's just that he is somehow in charge of their sight because he's rerouted all their visual perception Oh, is that what that is? To his monitor or something. Yeah, I think that is explained in the episode. That's why they can't see. Because for a while I was like, why can't they see? I can't uh, well, spy any ears him... on them, but they can hear. So why would their lack of eyes make any difference? But well, then the doctor says, ah, 
it's because their visual's been hacked. Well, that still makes him the more advanced next iteration of the human species. Not having a sense is not a problem. There are lots of people who don't have, who lack a sense, whichever sense it is. Mm -hmm. But if the whole universe were populated, or like, let's say, Neptune. They go down to Neptune or whatever moon, whichever moon it was, wherever they are, right? They go down to the surface, they take over everyone. Everyone is now a Sandman. Yeah, problem solved. They're never going to get off that rock because I don't see a Sandman engineering a fucking spaceship. Like, I don't see a Sandman practicing diplomacy and talking his way into a room. I don't see a Sandman doing anything except eat everything around him. Like, once they've exhausted their resources, problem solved, they will just, they'll starve. You know, that's it. Yeah, and you get the feeling that, okay, he's he's not fully compost mentis, or certainly not unbiased. You can't take him quite at face value when he says that. But then later on, he says something like, they're my babies. And that's something I've heard a million times in other things. Whenever there's a new species, there's some scientist who has done more to either be in contact with it or develop it there's always someone on their side and that is very much a stock character trope yeah marie has a hand raised i have a question i've just considered so basically in the beginning we were talking about when he says this transmission out to neptune and there's something in the transmission so we are going to watch this transmission there's an electrical signal it's going to change your brainwave somehow and then you're going to get the dust in the eye but what we've just been talking about is getting all the monsters to neptune and then they're all going to eat everything on neptune and then they can never leave because they are too stupid to make a spaceship yeah and how do those two things exist at the same time because it's true he's trying to get them to the planet it's trying it's like when you get there there'll be unlimited amounts of food for you you can eat everyone it's going to be great but they don't physically need to go do they they just know that's, the su- that's a signal. super duper good point yeah again it's all part of the story and he's like ah you were waiting for all this to be resolved well the way it's resolved is i've already got you <laughs> yeah but that no excuse me oh the way it's resolved is this was a bad story all along like no it, this is this is not <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't justify it I, you're absolutely right marie like he the, the going down to the surface like physically tran- uh, transporting these sand men not integral to the plot. The signal is what is integral, but what that means is basically that within a generation, a very brief generation, all life that is touched by this Sandman, whatever, let's call it a virus, is going to end. Because they don't even, like, they don't even, they haven't developed tools. Like, these are, these aren't even cavemen we're talking about. So all of a sudden, every, all intelligent life is reduced to these lumbering shit monsters. They don't even know how to operate a fucking doorknob they are ev- all life is gonna die at a certain point they will run out of people to eat and they, they will just starve well you know what maybe that's not true because maybe that is all part of the story in and we've got this entirely the wrong way around in that rasmussen we are actually watching the a sandman with full capabilities he is showing a story of lumbering monsters because that's what people in brackets viewers of doctor who tune in for they tune in for lumbering monsters so he gives them lumbering monsters but actually they're far more capable than that and then we're saying why are they lumbering monsters and why is he far more capable than that and it's it's for the same reason but he but if that was the case he like he doesn't seem that he's able to sustain that body when he does like he scratches his eye and then he just dissolves he just very like slowly from the top down dissolves into a pile of dust doesn't feel like that's a choice 
don't know. Maybe he's just it doing it to that's just screw with people. Ending. Yeah. yeah. That's just that's just the capper. Yeah, as dumb as that was, I felt like it was worth it just because the effect was so cool. Yeah, and it, it carried on being cool as well. Once once uh, the eye socket had hollowed out, then it, as the rest of his head disintegrated, it continued to be grotesque and compelling. Yeah, the, I mean, there's a moment when there's just half a head continuing to have a conversation, just, just the lower half of his head, and he's still talking. I, I thought that was really, really well done. Mm. I did no, I like, I absolutely adored that effect. That was one of the really good things about this episode. Aha. Um, Minus one point eight. I, I did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I just feel like if we'd have seen them rebuilding from the sand again, or if we'd see, like if we'd seen that he had control to change form at will, that it was like it just seemed accidental. It just should have had a bit more agency, and then he would have been a scarier. I am a hundred and seventy-three percent on your side, Marie. This I'm is why when I watched it the other day, I was like, well. wait, did he just accidentally die? Like, did is this the only reason yeah. the good guys win? <laughs> <laughs> like, he it would have won off. had he not scratched his eye. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that uh, a single shot of the process working in the opposite direction would have made things a lot better. <laughs> I am going to pile in on this episode for a minute. We have already had a base under siege episode in this series. Uh huh. Under the lake. Yep. Where the crew have been killed. Yep. And mm. they come back to torment the people who turn up after them or, or whoever's remaining. And it's far more interesting when they're ghosts than it is here. Absolutely. Because you can see all the characters and not have to make up names like Glenda and. <laughs> Barrier, whoever the hell was reprogrammed. I can't remember. That's how that's how forgettable that forgettable character was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, a couple of positives. Shall we try? Yeah, why not? Okay, a little bit of fan service. There's um <laughs> <laughs> you, you put way more stock and weight behind this fan service than I ever do. But sure, go ahead. <laughs> this isn't something that'll absolutely bring it up. I thought. I thought. Okay, here's the thing about the the fan service. The fan service. It, there, there were two instances of fan service that I noticed that I, as in that I made a, made a note of, and then there's a third one in the trivia that I had no idea about. But there were two instances that I noticed, and I thought that they were ham-fisted, but I'm still glad that they're there. Is it is a opening a scene on a little portrait of William Hartnell in its own way, not incredibly ham-fisted? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Look what we've heard here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, certainly. Abs- yeah. <laughs> absolutely. That's, that's also way too blatant. The two that I made a note of here were the Doctor going, oh, you don't get to name things. Uh, I get to name things, blah, blah, blah. It's like the Silurians all over again, and this feed into like every time anyone has a conversation about the Silurians on I'm sure any podcast it turns into the whole like oh wait but they weren't living in the Silurian period and blah 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 there's there's something in the actual episode itself about it as in in the classic who serial itself about this anyway so okay fine nice and the other one being no one in the universe actually puts space ahead of a noun it's not a space restaurant it is a restaurant which is just such an incredible nod to everything in Doctor Who has space ahead of it. 
certainly yeah, and in then classic. They the space pirates. The space yeah. pirates, which is a serial. Yes, absolutely. You're right. But like, I mean, everything. The the whole Terry Nation, like the Terry Nationism that we have brought up on Who Back When so many times. Every time Terry Nation rose a serial, everything had space in front of it. If you went to a city, it was a <laughs> space city. Like everything was space something. So I, I really liked that Capaldi brought that up. It's it's a nice little nod. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. I believe mm-hmm. that Mark Gatiss has watched Doctor Who in the past. You know, he's not just some dude who was roped into writing. No, Gatiss has been on this show since 2005. He is immersed with it. He he respects it. He he reveres it. Absolutely, of yes. He's going to put this stuff, and in. that's a nice thing. Okay, fine. Anything else that you liked? Anything else? I can name one thing. Go for it. It'd be great if someone else named something they liked. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried, but you guys have, have rather deflated me with your, hey, guess what? We're two and you're one and we have the same opinion and we're more than you. Sorry, Drew. Very sorry, Drew. So go on, Leon. Go ahead. Go ahead. What else do you like? Okay, here was a nice Clara line and a very nice Clara delivery, I thought, when she talks about, well, she hears the name Morpheus and she goes, oh, after the God of Dreams. And she just very casually, very blase, just goes, um, oh, yeah, not just this. You know, not just a pretty face. It was a really cool, just stone cold delivery. I loved it. Very nice. Yeah, it was quick and neat and well executed. Marie, Absolutely. did you like anything else about Clara in this episode? You said precious little about lovely Clara so far. I like that scene with Clara because just Clara is awesome. And of course she delivers it with class and style and everything she always does. However, <laughs> directly after that scene, do you remember what happened? She falls into the thing in some inexplicable way. Yes, exactly. And um, I, I had to rewind it because I was like... I didn't think that was going to be it. I, was, I knew that was going to be I it. Was like, I was watching it. And I was like, how did that just happen? I did. I think I just blinked and missed it. Okay, mm. let me rewind this. I rewind back to it. The doctor is stood literally next to her, like a foot away from her. And then the camera cuts away. We follow some one else and then suddenly she screams and then she's in the thing and the doctor is supposed to not have noticed this that his companion is stood literally like you know not even an arm's length away and like oh no what happened to clara like it's just so stupid it's so stupid yeah, yeah. and how do how do they get her in their street and attach all the do- diodes to her head and and you know no well, you read, this is 38th century technology also the doctor has been talking for ages about how he takes the training wheels off clara and she's growing up and basically becoming a doctor substitute of course he's going to be talking to some of the crew or investigating his own pod while she's doing his own thing he doesn't have to tutor her every second (laughs) but he wasn't he was he was like facing in the same direction that she was like he was looking at her when she disappeared i'm with you marie Uh, i too wrote how the shit balls did clara fall into the morpheus machine in my notes but fast forwarding to later on in the episode and then looking back at this scene i think we're meant to believe that rasmussen who's in the adjacent pod is able to control those wires maybe like those tendrils so that she is pulled into the pod rather than falls into it because if she falls into it it's a miracle she didn't die five minutes into being a companion just by accidentally walking into a volcano. Yeah, the Doctor calls the technology semi-sentient. And from what I remember, we see it from across the room and the pod is closing on Clara and the Doctor is looking at that. He didn't watch the whole process. He hears something's going on. He whips his head just before we turn and see what we see. I thought that's how it played out rather than the Doctor just standing there dumbly going,
going, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see how this uh, transpires. I, I feel like there's one shot of the Doctor. He's he's not looking at her. He's turning away. And then maybe they've CGI'd out the banana peel on which she slips. <laughs> and we just see her going, flop, <laughs> and falling, falling out of frame. As, like, all right, I guess we continue the shot. <laughs> <laughs> nothing else negative to say so you go do you can talk us up now i was going to say another reason why i liked the pov the fps pov i really felt in the opening minutes that it was a bit like immersive theater i mean we get advertised these things come to london and there's a doctor experience or there's an escape room or something and i feel like this comes pretty close to sort of an enhanced version of that that we can't interact with exactly. But everything is happening around you. You're, you're told, pay close attention. Your lives may depend on it. That's what someone would say just before they closed the door on you or something or as they came off the stage or, or something like that. Marie, you've, you've raised your pen again. <laughs> It's just because you've, you've, just, you've just made me think of um, actually how Jim described it. He was sat next to me watching Don't Tell, Don't Tell His Boss, but he was kind of like at work and kind of like half watching in the background while <gasps> watching this. Naughty. Um, Marie, do you know that we have half of Germany listening to us? Of course yeah, they don't know what he <laughs> Jim better not be telling his colleagues uh, that he's on a podcast. Wait, Jim, why haven't you told your colleagues you're on a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> he's probably working really hard now. He's making up his hours. He's fine. He works really hard. He's a good, he's a good employee. Good I think you saved um, it. Good job. Mm, mm, mm. Good. Thanks. Um, but yeah, no, that was so. His um, take on the intro was: it sounds like when you're in the queue for a ride at like Alton Towers or the theme park <laughs> available, and you're waiting for the Nemesis, and they're like. This this is the scariest ride of your life. You won't believe what's coming next. And that's exactly, like, that is what <laughs> it made me think of. So. Well, I tell you what, I've never been able to afford to go to Alton Tower. So really, this is just about the relative deprivations of our upbringing. And, you know, I'm happy to have this level of entertainment. And Jim is just used to the finer things in life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to make this a class issue. He's got a point. Okay. Sorry, I feel like I cut you off there with my with my ring. <laughs> no, you cut me off expertly. You cut me off at the knees. <laughs> <laughs> So did you guys not have any love for, I mean, we've already talked a bit about the grunts and how silly some of it is, but the, the Rip Van Winkle stuff and everyone's dismissing Chopra saying, ha, speaking like a true Rip, brackets Van Winkle, which comes out later on. I, I didn't pick up on that, actually. I don't uh, know. That was too subtle. We're talking about how this episode is never subtle and this completely passed you by. <laughs> I only watched this once. <laughs> 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 What's Rip Van Winkle? Those are the people who are against all the Morpheus technology being like, we should sleep seven and a half hours a night, anything less is unhealthy. Yeah, the story like, of the guy, Rip Van Winkle who slept like 40 years or something like that. Is that it? Yeah, it's got a really long period. Yeah. I heard the reference, so it can't have been that subtle. I just didn't know who Rip Van Winkle was. I've just looked him up, so it's fine. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. I feel like Leon just wasn't paying attention. I probably wasn't paying attention. Than, Leon, your life it may depend on it. <laughs> <laughs> We haven't we haven't really talked about the grunt. Should we talk about the grunt? Yeah, who played yeah. the grunt? 
I didn't make a note of her name. I only read in the TARDIS Wikia trivia that it's another first. It's the first time that we have an openly transsexual actor portraying a character in Doctor Who. Maybe not the best character to give the first person who plays this. Like, yeah, you get to play someone who is an idiot. (laughs) Not much of an opportunity to to express, you know, as one's acting talents. But yeah, cool. I didn't make a note of her name, I'm sorry. Played by Bethany Black. Transgender activist, stand-up, occasional actor has also appeared in Cucumber. I oh, made yes, a I note that, yeah. that it's surely no coincidence that Doctor Who would have its first trans actor orbiting Neptune like some trans-Neptunian object. Seems to be some grand pun on Mark Gatiss's part, which, as we know from Cold War, is his raison d'etre. I'm sorry, let's just pretend like we don't know what a trans-Neptunian object is. What's the pun there? It's just the only part of the uh, solar system where you'll find trans things. And oh, so okay. we'll put a transgender person in an episode. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm Mark Gatiss 5.0. Is that, that well thought through? Or? Maybe it's a coincidence. If, if it is, then they should have thought of it. Because I thought of it. Yeah. But yeah, I do. Uh, I agree with you, Leon. Because as soon as you... I didn't realise it was a trans You said that and I was like, oh, wow, that's super cool. Inclusivity. Yay, more of that. And then, yeah, as soon as you stop and think about what, like, what she's portraying, uh, that's really not not great for inclusivity, actually, is it? Yeah, and and it's something that you only find out from the trivia because this person's yeah. face is made up in such a way that you can hardly make out any distinguishing features. Now she's got a weird grid no. painted onto her face, which then yeah. disappears when she runs to her death. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's, it's just, off, it's just it? suddenly gone. Fire. Just gone. <laughs> The fire seared it away. That's how tattoos work. But, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Just burn them off. Easy. Was she supposed to be in love with the guy character that she kept touching his face a couple of times? Chopra. She said he was beautiful. Chopra, yeah. Saying he was pretty. Pretty Chopra. Pretty, yeah. I think you're probably right. I don't think I was paying attention because I didn't even know... I, I have zero recollection of the pretty Chopra line or that that was a theme in this episode. I have no yeah, recollection it, of that. It comes up three times. That is why, on one occasion, Chopra goes to strike 474 and ends up in a headlock while 474 yeah. is apologizing the whole time, which is another thing that I liked because it was very incongruous but made perfect sense the way it was written. Mm. Sort of thing you can only get in sci-fi, and that's why we're here. Yay. <laughs> The fact that you're casting a trans person doesn't mean that you're like you absolutely have to cast them in a role that highlights gender or gender roles or gender identity. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a it's a positive in and of itself that you're casting absolutely anyone in absolutely any role. You know that one doesn't determine the other necessarily. But this was regardless of who was cast in this role. This was a bad part to be cast in. <laughs> like, this is the role that you cast someone in if you don't necessarily require someone with acting jobs. Well, Miss Black has only had six roles to date oh, okay. on IMDb. So that's why I said occasional actor, or I, that was in my notes anyway. Maybe that's part of it. Like, you don't need to be a, an Olivier. We can we can get you in here and you'll do a decent job. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a really interesting discussion because it is, like, I think it is really important to hire trans people and get more... Um, 
representation. Representation, yes. Yeah. There we go. But yeah, just it's such a like dehumanized role. Yeah, like deliberately yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it, it doesn't. And I think you're absolutely right. It shouldn't be that we only hire trans people to play like super important parts where you're playing a trans character and we're going to educate people and blah blah blah. Like that, you know. Yeah, you have to fly that, the flag and be in front of it at all times. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be that that's the only roles you can get. There should be more roles available. It just feels like at the minute there aren't that many roles like not that many trans people are being cast and so if you're casting someone it's a big deal do you want that to be the character that's associated with them just seems a bit at the same time we've we've said all this but i'm thinking about the 474 chopra relationship now at the beginning it's outright hostility or scorn or something and uh, okay it's very tired to sacrifice oneself to be raised ever so slightly in the opinion of someone else as if your whole life is worth them seeing you a bit less negatively than before. Chopra realizes he he comes to appreciate and value 474 more by the end. Is yeah. there I would, you know what, I would I would love it if that was I always want to say like if that was intentional, but I feel like it probably was intentional. Maybe they did maybe that's what they were trying to do. But I just feel like mm. everything in this episode it like there's a lot of things where we've said, oh they could have they could have done this. So we're trying to do this. They could have done it better and just things weren't done enough. And so if that was the goal, if we if there was a discussion discussion meeting and they said okay we're gonna hire a trans actor we're gonna put her in a this dehumanized role she's gonna be this grunt who is low intelligence blah 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 low emotional capabilities just like a physical force but over the course of the episode we're gonna have her character develop and we're gonna have the other people change their opinion of her that could have been done better like that should have been if that was the case that should have been a bigger role well i don't know i i sort of think the more we talk about it the more we think about it we are going on what the others are saying about this character so at the beginning all we're told is that they are stupid they are way subhuman they lack a b c and d and they're not as good as the regular soldiers okay chopra doesn't at the end say you know what i really learned something today there's actually a lot more depth to them than, than you realize and i understand now that the difference is entirely from my own perspective and I have shed my prejudices and so he doesn't do any of that but I think it might be there in some I just way like, I, I, I also think... wouldn't like that I wouldn't like if it if it if it was exactly how you've described it I would equally be going that's too much that's like that's just really in your face and blah 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 which there's is why he didn't have a monologue saying yeah. <laughs> exactly that. Exactly. But there's got to be a happy middle ground where it's not, if it's so subtle that most people miss it, then what's the point of it being there? Mm. I like thought, if you're trying to make a point, then make your I thought this was in part incredibly tropey. I mean, bear in mind, so when watching this, I did, for whatever reason, I missed the three deliveries of this pretty Chopra line. So I, I, <laughs> I, I completely missed that there was an interest between between these two, or at least a one-sided interest uh, somehow between these two characters. So first of all, I took this to be very tropey because there are so many films, I'm thinking war films in particular, where one person, you maybe haven't had much of a relationship building between one character and this one person, and this one person gets injured to a point where they're going to sacrifice themselves. You get so many of these. Every war film has one of these. And this was that trope in this episode. But on top of 
that, not realizing that there was potentially a one-sided romantic interest, or maybe a two-sided romantic interest, who knows? I took this to be maybe an allegory of someone who's intellectually debilitated, who has been given the role of, I carry guns, and Chopra is the utter arsehole who doesn't respect this person because this intellectual intellectually debilitated in some way and then at the end realizes the humanity in this person when this person ironically is going to like their life is about to be extinguished that was it anyway that's 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 what i was this made sense like five minutes ago (laughs) you don't know what you got till it's gone Can I just say one thing that I liked and then we can go to ratings? (laughs) Go for it. Which is when Clara has named the Sandmen and Capaldi is protesting and she says, would you prefer the Dustmen? Was that not funny? Nobody tittered? I tittered. I tittered abundantly. I I think statistically speaking, about 33% of the audience tittered at that point. (laughs) Okay, well, represent. No, you know what? I held my hands up. Basically, whenever Clara says a joke, I titter a little bit. So I probably tittered. Because <laughs> she's great. And scene. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Shazamatron Podcast Land, and welcome to the hour minis part of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> For, for whatever reason, it has fallen upon me to start. Thanks, majority rules. Uh, okay, here we go. Okay, to start off, I know I said at the very beginning of this episode that I was oscillating between loathing and tolerating this episode. And I am pleased to say that partly because you've highlighted some of the, uh, the, the positive aspects of it, partly because I've now had an extra hour and a half to think about it, what have you, I have settled on mostly tolerating it. And to clarify, that is far from appreciating it and even further away from lauding it. It's, <laughs> it is not all negatives. There's good acting from Doc. There's good, if not great, acting from Clara. But I, I feel like both are implemented very, very sparingly here. It's perhaps an episode that is, it's, it's not Doc-centric. It's not companion-centric. It's not, <laughs> wait, hang on, what is it? It's not ancillary character-centric. It's not plot-centric. I don't know what it is. It's all filler. As for the other characters here, those, the aforementioned ancillary characters, you know what? I have no idea who the other cast members were. We have been wielding a few names here and there, and I could probably describe the Grunt and Rasmussen in relative detail, but the others mean nothing to me. <laughs> I can say oh, Vienna. <laughs> one of them was named Nagata, one of the they uh, one of them was named Chopra and the other one was named What's his face, but they, like they lacked every ounce of personality to me, which unlike the other base under siege episode that you brought up before the uh, the before the flood or the whatever the part 1 of that double feature is. Under the lake. Under the lake, thank you. That crew, I mean, similar starting point for an episode, for a story. At the time, now no longer, but at the time, I certainly could distinguish them from one another. To me, these ones, they're just all red shirts. I personally really enjoyed the first-person POV shots. I thought that was really, really cool. As I said, I it's nice they're trying something new. Please don't do it again. I'm just going to get car sick. I liked much of the <laughs> ambience, the creature effects, some of the production value. But 
foremost, there's a lot of intention behind some of the characters and the world building, but the thing is, I just don't feel like there's enough to substantiate most of it. I was very disheartened by the lazy writing, by the collector's cards, by the nonsensical plots. Like, basically what it boils down to, I think, is that Gatiss had a cool concept in mind. Undoubtedly, it was cool, and he felt he could approach it from two, maybe three different angles, but in the end, he chose to approach it from all of them and not flesh out either. In summary, I'm giving this a... Oh shit, I don't know how this is going to relate to you guys. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm giving this a 1.3. Cool. Okay. That's nice. <laughs> okay. All right. Here is some balance. Chopra hears a roar from behind the door and raises his gun. Who's there? Chief? He says entirely redundantly. This has happened in so many episodes of Doctor Who. I swear that I've encountered one recently where the chief equivalent gave the response, since when do I sound like that? I thought it was kill the moon, but I could be wrong. Moving on, the they're my babies always so hungry speech, no matter how sincerely delivered by horrid devotee Reese Shearsmith, is so naff. There's a line that's given airspace, as if waiting for a round of applause. Capaldi says, like smuggling a jam jar full of germs through customs. That is poor for a first draft. That should have been cut and amended and many things done to it and never seen the light of day. However, I like what this episode tried to do fundamentally. Mark Gatiss has been part of the crew for over, for well, for exactly a decade at this point. He's seen it all. He knows how stale these stories set on space stations have become. We saw Chibnall try to, to freshen this concept in 42, but all that did was have us checking our watches waiting for the end. Here, we have monsters that roar lumbering after Doc and his companion and the crew of the week. It couldn't be more formulaic, but for me, thanks to the shaky cam POV strategy, I actually found it quite hard to compare to these base under siege stories such as Under the Lake, because it's different. It's way less imaginative in its story devices, but it's more imaginative in its execution. It's worth doing once. However, there are deeper problems. Underneath the skin of innovation, there's something that's typical of Mark Gatiss's episodes for quite a while. The characterization is weirdly depthless. We talked about how Cold War was nothing but stock characters, a situation, and a pun. The Crimson Horror was again a collection of types, plus Matt Smith groaning a lot. Robot of Sherwood had some banter, but it was a mishmash of elements that did didn't quite gel. A Gatiss episode in the Moffat era is always a synthesis. It's a concoction without the ingredients ever mixed well enough to feel organic. Like you say, Leon, it's four or five different things thrown in and becoming less than the sum of their parts. This bit is an homage. This bit, however, is a twist on the formula. So that's when you should be impressed and should laugh. However, I found the visuals so compelling and the experience so engrossing and surrounding. Like, I can't think of a word to express that. I found it very watchable. Horror films especially can be as thin and as two-dimensional as anything. But if it grabs you by the balls, that qualifies it as a fine horror. So I am exempting this episode from from needing to be an all-rounder with manifold strength to a degree. Of course, certain aspects are lacking. And maybe that's accentuated because the visuals for me were so effective. But just because an episode nails one dimension shouldn't necessarily count against the others. Also, I feel like this is a very bad series for this installment to be airing in. We've had big, rich, meaty two-parters. We talked about Under the Lake. That gets 90 minutes to allow us to feast on nuance and complexity and fleshed out supporting characters. Our thoughts have been provoked. 
And so right now, we are primed to look down on a quick and nasty tug job of an episode, which is what Gatiss likes to specialise in. Nevertheless, I was satisfied. We're looking for the weak link in a series that we know must come. And so this attracts all the opprobrium that would ordinarily be spread far more evenly. So in sum, I remember liking it before. I liked it again. 2.6. Twice. Twice my score. How many times Marie's score? (laughs) With a Marie! I was waiting for you to say something. I felt like you were waiting till the end and you were going to come out with some really like heartfelt, you know, emotional reason why I should love this episode. And no, it was, it was, uh, didn't grab me by the balls. <laughs> and, and, uh, I think what it boils down to is I agree with everything you've just said, but I didn't like the visual. And so you've given it a mm. lot of leeway for it, it's a thin as fuck story as horror stories often are, but I enjoyed watching it. I didn't enjoy watching it. Therefore, yeah, <laughs> totally. It yeah, lives and dies. So excited. Lives and dies. And for me, it's lived. And for you, it is dodo material. <laughs> yes, yes. And I do. I agree with something as a, as well. Like um, I think Leon said, like it. The concept is good, but a lot of it is hamfisted. And I think I kept coming back to that. That there are things in there that you could see if you decided to go in a different direction, or if you do, if you just tweak things a little bit, or if you'd focus more on certain characters, or if you'd just shown the monsters in a different light, or just done this, or just done that, could have been good. And I think, if anything, it just annoys me more. It's like, why didn't this come up? Why wasn't there a meeting with all the writers? And why didn't somebody go, excuse me, guys, what if we just made it less shit? Wouldn't that be a great thing to do? Guys, I've had a mad idea. Why don't we make it good? (laughs) Exactly. Why weren't you there, Drew? You could have changed the whole thing. Honestly, one of the first notes. So I've told you already my first note was Reese Smith. I then didn't write a single thing until 10 minutes in when I wrote, if this was not a Doctor Who episode, I would have turned off by now. uh, Ouch. (laughs) You're burned. I watch, a, I watch a lot of sci-fi and sometimes it's just naff and you give it a little bit of a try and then you think this is never going to recover enough for me to engage with this. And yeah, if this wasn't something that I'm already, I know the characters, I love the characters, it's part of a series, I want to see how it ends. Maybe something will come out of this episode that is important later on. I should persevere. Also, I have to talk about this for two hours tonight, so I'm going to probably finish it. I don't think I would have persevered, which says a lot. You mentioned, Leon, that the uh, Doctor and Clara were both very good in this. Maybe they were. They're always good. <laughs> like it feels like they kind of have their characters down, and I expect a certain level from them. Like if they were less than expected, I would take away marks. But I, at this point, I'm not really adding on marks because you know because Clara said something in a whatever way. Like I know she's a good actor. I know she has good comedy timing. She has good emotion. Like she can whatever you give her, she will work with. The problem with this is what she wasn't given anything. The Doctor wasn't given anything. They were. It was very, very light on the Doctor and Clara and their interactions with each other. You know, there was the one nice scene where they were talking about the naming of the monster. We already discussed that. You know, there were there were a couple of things here and there that were nice, but not enough to make up for the all of the other things that have just sort of dragged it down for me. Yeah, the, again, the POV <laughs> thing... <laughs> 
I don't object to them trying something. Like you said, they did it once. It was great. I don't need to see it every week. If they'd have done it once in a restrained way, I think I would have been really engaged with it. I I love it normally when you get like a really arty film that kind of plays with the camera angles and does something unexpected. That is my bag. Like I love all that stuff. It just, everything they did in this episode was too much. It was too ham-fisted. It was too many times. Too sand-fisted. We- <laughs> sand-fisted. <laughs> like we get the point. It just, it doesn't feel like it's giving your audience any credit whatsoever it is just every scene that they can make from someone's point of view is going to be made from someone's point of view until we get with there's enough repetition that someone go finally goes oh are they filming from clara's perspective oh clara's not wearing a helmet uh, like a, a camera she doesn't have an eyepiece something's going on there and it just like and because of that they make the doctor stupid and they make clara stupid and everybody just failed to see what should have been super obvious from the beginning and I just, yeah, I didn't appreciate that either. The ending was lovely. I did enjoy the special effects. The rubbing of the eye and the guy just disintegrating slowly was lovely. Really, really nicely done. Like we discussed, it could have just been some intention could have been there. It could have been more forceful if we'd have been sure that it wasn't just that he was disintegrating into a pile of sand and was just going to die. <laughs> like it would have been nice to know what the trajectory was after this scene or not even to know for sure what was happening but to at least have the option of it might not be the end there could be something more it just felt like everything was left a bit loose yeah but i do and again we talked quite a lot about the character i've gotten the whatever the number was 474 474 and having a transactor in there i think is so super super important even if it wasn't maybe quite the, the ideal way of doing it whatever fuck it a transactor got the job on a massive fucking tv show that is seen by millions of viewers that is important so uh, yeah i'm probably i'm coming up from a zero but not <laughs> oh really i've already prepped i've written zero point over here <laughs> oh that might still be valid yeah, yeah, yeah. i didn't say it was a whole point of <laughs> oh okay okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was looking through old reviews and I seem to have given a 0.8 out quite a lot of times to things that didn't make me as angry as this one made me. So I'm going to have to go a little bit lower than that. So you can have a 0.6. Call deads. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Holy moly. (laughs) Just under half of my score. (laughs) We've we've made a nice spread. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, this has been wonderful. Shall we see if Podcastland agrees with us? (laughs) With who? (laughs) Yeah, that's also, that's a good question. See how wide podcast land spread for us. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max to fifty, or it would get out of hand. We have arrived at the list of mini section. Doop 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 doop. Who's first up? First up, we have Jim the Fish. Jim. Hello, Jim. Hi, Jim. Jim starts. The episode opens with a guy telling us not to watch it. Should have taken his advice. Zing! (laughs) 
Good. Jim continues. Sleep No More is basically Mark Gatiss's attempt at a found footage horror episode, which runs into the problems of having a fake deep premise involving eye boogers metastasizing into lumbering boogers monsters, which are boring as shit. <laughs> Zero effective horror scenes and only about one sort of memorable character, which is a shame because it tries haphazardly to do some genuinely inventive things with the found footage genre in the process, but lacks the ingenuity to make anything watchable out of it. And Jim continues with a question. Why eye boogers, though? I mean, sure, alien signals that turn people into dust is all fine and good. But how is this connected to accelerated sleep? This somehow makes even less sense than Doc's deductions in Kill the Moon. Oh! <laughs> you talked about Kill the Moon, dude. I did. Yeah. On the nose. And since it was the doctor's deduction, it's hard to brush it away as a red herring. It did make sense to him somehow. And Jim concludes, Finally, I would like to commend the episode for casting the first ever transgender person on the show in a role of subhuman freak. This is bravery unheard of in the modern age. And Jim gives this 0.8 out of five. <laughs> Quite generous, Jim. I gotta say, I mean, few people do vitriol like Jim the Fish. Well done, Jim. Mm. Well done, Jim. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jim the Fish. And some very solid points. Mm-hmm. Next up, who we got? Why, it's James Ashley. Hello, James. Long time no see. Hi, James. James begins. Sleep No More is an episode which certainly attempts to be creative. The found footage element (laughs) takes some adjusting, but I think it fitted in well with and complemented the story tremendously. In terms of the episode, then, I think it is overall quite creepy and very atmospheric for Doctor Who. Oh, do go on, James. (laughs) Though it does undoubtedly suffer from some serious pacing issues. Pull up, James, pull up. Going from slow motion tiptoe at the start to a haphazard sprint by the almost non-existent conclusion. This is the second review in a row that uses the word haphazard. (laughs) What are the odds of that? (laughs) And James continues, The performances, for the most part, are good, uh, with Capaldi shining out as usual, while the guest cast are also well acted, but are unfortunately quite forgettable. On release, this episode was received very poorly, probably due to the aforementioned slow start and potential to feel gimmicky and still maintains one of the lowest ratings on IMDb. But I think generally the fandom's opinion of this story has grown over time. Yes, it has its flaws, says James, but I think the twisting plot, found footage element and brilliant direction give it a cold, atmospheric feel virtually unrivaled by any other story. And James gives this a rating of... Holy moly, hold on to your pacemakers. 3.3 out of 5. Wow, excellent, James. That was very close to what I was originally going to give this. Really? I mean, I was just about to say, isn't that sort of like your rating plus Marie's rating? (laughs) I think the takeaway is that James has a huge heart. heart. (laughs) Good stuff. Thank you very much, James. Write in more often. We want to hear more. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Don't be a stranger. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we have Michael Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Love you, Michael. Oh my goodness, you have grown. It's more than your heart. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Michael starts <laughs> <laughs> with some. Love. 
Yikes! First line. Morpheus. The kind of shitty thing I suspect Amazon is already prepping for its workforce. They are definitely looking into it. No doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Monsters made of sleep dust. Ew. (laughs) Shearsmith's nutty scientist. A few nice jump scares, particularly poor Deep Ando's demise, just as he thought he was safe. (laughs) Sniff. And that darn freaky finale, the only moment I remembered from the original broadcast. I mean, I would agree with that. That sticks with you. Yeah. I remember that as Mm. well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But Michael also has a fair few... So many attempt the shaky cam Blair Witch ripoff, and rarely is it any good. Nor does the ring ripoff work. Why have we never heard of these Sandmen again if this viral message is being spread across the galaxy? We've had better base under siege stories this series, let alone previous, where we care more about the suckers being bumped off. Why does Nagata speak in Geordie slang? As Indo Japan colonized Newcastle? Pet. Pet. Pet, pet, pet. pet. Don't say petty, Leon. <laughs> Grunt 747 Why is she attacking her own side And then cowering in a corner She's supposed to be a Terminator We've had far more effective test tube soldiers In the Doctor's Daughter Which was set in an earlier time period And last Was this not real? Were parts of it real? Which parts? I'm confused In summary Meh And Michael gives this a suitably meh rating of 1.8 out of 5 grunts consumed by gross piles of sleep eye. Yuck. Wow. I mean, really makes you wonder whether the seventh doctor ever encountered anything even remotely similar to this. Really? Michael? Quite amazing. Think that the sleep eye monster should have been a lot more gross and disgusting than they actually were. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah, think about yeah. it. Mm. The they were more like they were part. dust monsters. Yeah, or they were sand monsters rather. But I, I, I don't care to get to know what you know eye buggers are like. I, I don't, I don't want to be in a position to be able to say they ought to have been like this. <laughs> Yeah, their mucus should have been much more viscous. Mm. Michael, thank you very much for a fantastic (laughs) mini. Ooh, so big. People who are not Michael, you know what to do. Head on over to Twitter. Follow Michael on Twitter. He can be found at bad. Underscore. Movie. Underscore. Club. Love you, Michael. My goodness, that's never going to (laughs) fit. Oh, dear. Next up, last up, we've got Eddie. Rock. Nice. Mm, Mm, Feel the metal. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Eddie. Hi, Eddie. And Eddie begins. Hey, who at when? You ready to rock this? (sighs) I'm sorry. I can't even fake that level of enthusiasm for this episode. (laughs) This might be great acting. This bodes really well for audiobook too, by the way. I'm not even joking. Do you have me sighing a lot in the next one? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Once or twice. (laughs) I'm going to write in some more at this rate. (laughs) This might be the single worst episode of New Who. Wow. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) At least, wait, hang on, it gets better. At least Lover Monsters had oral sex with a slab of granite. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, a really shallow fleshlight. (laughs) It's a fair point, yeah. This took what might have been a cool idea of a story, combined it with an interesting first-person twist, and managed to turn out complete and utter 
Crap. <laughs> I'll start with the good, since there's so little of it, continues Eddie. The monsters looked pretty cool, and they gave a clever explanation for the first-person perspective. Also, I loved how they poke fun at things being named space whatever. Was that a direct dig at Terry Nation? I certainly hope so. The whole sleep pod concept could have been a neat story basis, but everything else just made it sink like it was tied to a bag of me's. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Self-referentiality, Eddie Rock. <laughs> Who continues? The acting from the guest cast was terrible. The crew were just a bunch of generic stereotypes, and the grunt was just plain obnoxious. The ending monologue from the bad guy was cheesy even for Doctor Who. I know it was supposed to come off as creepy, but it was just the painful groan of an exclamation point at the end of this frustratingly <laughs> abysmal episode. And overall, Eddie gives us a 0.7 out of 5 crusty gunks of eye dust. See you next time for a much better episode. Ooh. Until then, rock on! Nice. Oh, fantastic stuff. Give yourself a gold star for that bag of me's, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, excellent, Minnie. Thank you very much, Eddie. People of Podcast Land, unite in your collective subscription on Twitter of Eddie. Uh, Eddie's Eddie can be found at the Eddie Rock. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for your insights. It's been a pleasure. It really has. It's been great to hear from four of you. No, it has been. <laughs> There's a little bit of New Who Channel envy here, I can sense. <laughs> Keep them coming, thick and fast. A handful would yes, be great. We really like to hear from you and we appreciate all your comments, so do keep them coming. And that's it from us for today. Hope you enjoyed our podcast. We will see you again very shortly. Well, no, we won't do anything to you. You will hear us again very shortly. <laughs> we won't do anything no. to you. <laughs> Except tantalize you. <laughs> we will tickle your earbuds again very shortly. <laughs> we will titivate uh, your songs <laughs> extremely soon. <laughs> But next up, we have a classic, who I believe, Leon. That's right, yes. Uh, next up, we're going to be visiting the Warrior's Gate. Interesting. Mm. What's next, Drew? <laughs> Why? It's Face the Raven. <laughs> In case I can't edit that properly, if you suddenly hear us laughing, <laughs> look forward to some bloops coming up, Podcast Land. <laughs> And at some point in the not-too-distant future, we will have the next audio who, namely Lucy Miller and To The Death. Is that two different audios? That's or? right, yes. One audio who review, two audio books, three punchlines. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> at some point, Did we will also have a that? bonus that episode, sounds... but who knows what it'll be. It probably won't be our audiobook. <laughs> it, you know what? It'll probably be <laughs> the Christmas bloopers. <laughs> Yeah, but but to give you some idea of, of where we see our audiobook going, we're going to have it the script nailed by the end of the year. We're going to record it early next year. Leon's going to put a shit ton of post-production on it. Holy moly, so aren't I just? In the spring. Yeah, and, and I feel also, maybe I should mention this, I feel like we've mentioned on a couple of occasions that you may be receiving an email very soon, dedicated listener of Who Back When, <laughs> uh, regarding being cast in that audiobook. If you haven't received an email, it's not because you're not going to be cast, it's because I haven't actually gotten off my ass and sent out any emails yet so uh, relax okay yeah. <laughs> things are gonna start 
Wheels are going to start turning. We finished the first draft yesterday. And yes, we what did. What a first draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was epic. <laughs> so, yeah. So, if you want to keep up to date with the audiobook and more, do follow us on Twitter. We are at WhoBuckWen. Yeah. You can also follow us individually. We have Leon. How do we find you, Leon? Thank you so much for asking. People can find me at Ponkin, P-O-N-K-E-N. Ponkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Drew. How, how about you, Drew? Why, I am at Drew Beckwen. Excellent. Excellent, Brian. Oh, thank you. Goodness. But Marie, I believe you can be followed also. <laughs> yes, you can follow me uh, on Instagram. It is Ham, Mash and Jelly. That's Ham, ham Mash and Jelly. And you have uh, carefully omitted the spaces between words for podcast lands convenience. Also the commas. <laughs> so we hope you enjoyed the show. We loved chatting to you. Have excellent weeks and take care of each other. We love you. Keep rocking on. <laughs> yeah, if you're around next to each other. Stay safe. Ciao, ciao. Yeah. Bye-bye. Cheers. <laughs> Oh, I like it. Nice. (laughs) So continental. (laughs) Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode and lastly give us a rating and review on iTunes it helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points that's it rock on and be rad and excellent to each other catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode until then ciao ciao who back when